I am joined for a special episode of Forward Guidance. I am here with Noel Smith, Chief Investment Officer and Head of Options Trading at Convex Asset Management. A little bit of background I want to give uh, uh, you folks watching this at home is that Noel and I, uh, we've done interviews before, we've been in touch, we were put back in touch. We were going to do an interview, uh, but... I was scheduled. I was scheduled up uh, for guidance for like the next two months. So we booked something in, in late July. It probably will air in August. But Noel had something very specific uh, that he was been observing that is very timely. Uh, it is something that is going to happen over the next two weeks and something to, to keep an eye on during that time period. So we're doing sort of a short, like sort of ten minute uh, little flash one off piece. Uh, just to just to share what what Noel's been finding. So, uh, Noel, b- because we don't have a, a lot of time, t- tell me what you're seeing in the market. Because you know, I every day, Noel, I am just surrounded by really smart people who I interview, and they're saying one and only one thing, and that is sell, get out. Don't you know the Federal Reserve is coming to to uh, you know drive a bulldozer essentially through the stock, bond, commodity, crypto market? Uh, and I can find that very convincing. Uh, you know, so much so that I'm thinking it myself. But you, you're not so much making a call that that is necessarily wrong, but you think over the next two weeks, things might will not will likely not go to Armageddon for a highly specific reason. So tell us uh, what you're thinking. Did I you know describe your views or misdescribe your views? And then yeah, why? What's going on here? So volatility relative to the market decline has not really been high, been really raised that much. Uh, I owned a bunch of puts. I owned a bunch of puts that are going to heaven tomorrow and they haven't really paid me. And which is unfortunate because I bought them a very long time ago. So the, the options make money when they exceed what the people that sold them to you expected, right? So if, if the market maker that sells you a put expects the market to crash, the market has to crash more than his model or their model says, and that way you can make money. So the difficult part for people that are buying puts is that they haven't really been working that great. Today, they're kind of working, but in general, if you look at any kind of uh, relief in the the futures, you know, the index, whatever, index being defined as the S&P 500, they smash vol instantly. So the, the second that there's any kind of sense of calmness uh, they really come in as fast as they can to smash it. And in, in, in addition to that, if you look at just the level of the VIX being in the early 30s, and it went down to, you know, into the 20s yesterday, it's crazy how fast they want to smash vol. And what that really means is that in order for the market to breach, it has to have kind of, um, I've come up with this analogy a long time ago, think about a toilet bowl handle, you know, you, you jiggle it a little bit, you jiggle, little, jiggle it a little bit, and it doesn't flush. You really have to put a certain amount of, you know, Newton meters on yeah. the handle in order for, you know, to get the bowl to flush. And it's kind of like that. There has to be an exceedance in the market. There has to be new, new information. And Friday's CPI and Monday's sell-off and Powell's presser yesterday, so far wasn't enough. There are a lot of options that are struck in this neighborhood, as we're speaking right now, and they call it the 3,600, 3,700 range that are expiring tomorrow and on the end of the month, which is June 30th. And that's the, the conversation that you and I had. And I said, in order for the market to significantly breach the current levels, those options, there has to be new, new information. And I don't think, you know, the Swiss National Bank last night or the, um, uh, the, you know, the, you know, the English England. rate this morning at Bank of England, um, I was, is enough. I don't think that is enough in in conjunction with last Friday's uh, high print. So 
I, I don't think we go a whole lot lower in the very short term. And how much of that has to do with this JP Morgan collar trade that is, is quite complex? So I'll, I'll let you describe it. JP Morgan collar trade is from their marketing standpoint to talk about them. Uh, what they say is, dear Mr. Or Mrs. Investor, uh, you know, we can give you exposure to the index, but in addition to that, we will give you less volatility because we're going to go out there and do collars. What that means is that they sell upside calls and they buy downside put spreads. So the put spread that they have on is the short side for them is right here, 3620 in the SPX, and that expires on June 30th. That means that the people that bought those put spreads the people that sold those put spreads have a long strike at 36.20. So what that means is that the marketplace, as a market-making delta hedging community, they have to, they will hedge those deltas as they start to breach that, that threshold. And what that could in turn do is cause the market to kind of sit or bounce. And so I don't think we have a meaningful flush or rip until after expiration and then after expiration of the June 30th options as well. Those two things in tandem. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of notional, and it's a lot of activity. Yeah. So that collar spread. So the, uh, J.P. Morgan for their clients, they bought a call here. You know, forty high forties you know, for, for for for. But they bought it here. That probably expired. Worthless. A call, and then they bought a put here. The right to sell, but they it wasn't all the way down. They so they had a put spread. So they sold something here. So they've that that put spread has done very well for them. But specifically that uh, you're saying that puts. So, uh, that they sold at 36.20, that uh, was the bottom end. That is now in play. We're very close to 36.20. And the yeah. dealer community, market-making folks who sort of uh, uh, tra you know, traffic in options, they are long tons of those put options, which means so as so they're long gamma. So as the stock market, as, as SPY, S&P 500 goes down, they will be buyers of the market, not because they you know love S&P 500, but just to hedge their yeah. books. That's what you're saying. Now, market makers, much like myself, I'm an ex-market maker. They don't really take an opinion on the S&P 500, you know, up or down. So for me individually, if the S&P 500 goes to 3,000, that's better than 4,000, but I can trade either one, so I don't really care. So yeah, in essence, <clears throat> you think about a put spread, the maximum amount of money you can make on a put spread is the width of that spread. So if you buy a $5 wide put spread for $2, if it goes to $5, then you've made the maximum amount of money that you can make on that put spread. And if the instrument goes to zero, uh, you know, you don't, you cease to make any more money on that. So from JP Morgan's perspective, they have bought this put spread from the market making community's perspective, they have sold this put spread. So what that means when you sell a put spread, you are long the downside put, which is right now in this neighborhood. So for the market to breach these current levels, let's call it 36 and low change, um, is going to be difficult. Now that doesn't mean it can't a little bit because if you, you know, as a market maker, what you do is, you know, say you have a bunch of gamma, you know, you can sometimes let it ride a little bit through your strike and then you pick your spots where to kind of shore up things at the end of the day or at the end of the week or whatever else. Um, and again, these specific puts are struck at May 3rd or June 30th, not tomorrow, which is June 17th. So there are two instances to consider. You have all the gamma, in the S&P 500, which is the SPX, the SPY, the um, levered ETFs even, and even the gamma that's kind of in the Qs and other instruments because there's a lot of uh, overlap between Qs and SPY uh, or SPX. So if you lump all that gamma together, you've got a, a lot of money that's uh, on the table for in the options world for tomorrow. And then you have also a lot of money in the SPX, which is on June 30th. The thing that's unique about the June 30th trade, and if you look at the open interest in that strike, usually open interest tells you next to nothing 
on a, um, a given line. But there's 43,000 options. Let's call it $20 billion, a little bit less. 43,000 options struck there. And we kind of know what the deal is with those options, right? Those options are really just a JP Morgan collar. So you know that the marketplace is long gamma there. Right. So again, they will be buyers as the market goes down, which will have a dampening effect, sort of like cushion the market. It's the opposite of like a GameStop where they were short gamma and they had to buy on the way up for, for GameStop. Yes. So how high of a how what's your relative conviction in terms of what this in, informs you about how how you think you know implied realized volatility as well as delta like the actual level of the S and P five hundred will be over the next two weeks? Is it is it sort of a like you know if we have a we just had the Belmont Stakes in in New York uh, if there's a horse race it's like oh it's raining a little bit so it's this is going to favor one of the other horses who uh, you know is really good at, at running in the mud. Or is it a much, is that like a low conviction thing? Or is it a high conviction thing? It's like, wow, that horse is limping. Like, I don't think he's going to win. So I don't really trade in conviction. I trade on math. You know, of course I'm a human being and I have trader instinct, um, which I don't really consider to be actionable. Uh, If you look at a chart of the S&P 500, it looks terrible. It looks, you know, like the market's going to go to 3,300 or 3,100, something in that that neighborhood. Um, But do I consider that to be a mathematically justifiable thing? No, I don't trade on charts. I never have. And frankly, I don't think I ever could. Um, so in terms of math, there are two conflicting things here. The math says that volatility is really not that high. And moreover, every time the market stabilizes at all, if we get a little you know, uptick in the market from a minute by minute basis, vol starts getting hit. It starts getting hit pretty fast. So Implied vol, just the, to be clear. Implied vol. To be clear, yes, implied vol. So as a result of that, the, the decision that the market is going to basically stop in this general neighborhood. And then I'm not going to say bounce because I don't know if it's going to bounce or not, but it's not going to continue to crash down to 3,500 by tomorrow or whatever else, um, or by June 30th. That's a fairly high conviction trade in the sense that none of my trades are all that high of a conviction because I, you know, I'm not emotionally wed to my decisions, but the math justifies some stake taking here. So, you know, I would probably buy some deltas cover some of my, my, my short deltas from my long gamma in this neighborhood. And because if I don't, and the market rallies, that gamma will get hammered fast. And say that we say we go back up, you know, 2% in the next two days, you know, they'll, they'll smash fall. And anybody that are, you know, anybody that's coming in and owns this vol, they'll lose money fast. And then they'll scramble to buy and it'll be another cycle of all that, you know, chase. So uh, as, as somebody who's running their book, kind of like a market maker would, it is my judgment to buy some deltas in this neighborhood, long deltas specifically, so that, you know, if we do rip it all, it's not just punishing for me on the other side as well. Yeah. I'm really glad you said that about, about conviction. I sort of, I got met that abstractly about the, the confidence level of how, you know, how clear is the signal from the model? And I'd also say, you know, in macro, you shouldn't really based on, on conviction, you, sh- you should be quantitative and rigorous, but especially in, in trading volatility, I mean, you definitely should be have some models and, and not be relying on, on conviction. Yeah. You know, you get so much confusing information. I mean, look at the information that Powell has given you over the last year. He's been wrong about all kinds of stuff. So if you just traded off of what, you know, if Powell whispered into your ear five minutes before, you know, uh, you know, he said whatever he said publicly, you'd still have lost a lot of money. So that's completely worthless information. And you consider that to be super high quality information if it was legal and he did it, et cetera. So it's still been worthless. So even if your models, if you were the only thing that really has been working is for the market to go down and you to be short and probably also short some volatility against it. That's been a pretty good trade. Right, right. Um, 
I was going to say, so, so Noel, what would you have to see or what would have to happen? What new information would be, you be presented with that you would change your mind and say, oh, wow, actually volatility is exploding higher. Uh, you know, I'm not going to be buying Delta. It is a function of rate of change. So then that's where the calculus gets into it. So it's about, a, it's about the rate of change. It's not so much that we're in a storm. Is the storm picking up and getting worse? Is it getting better? And if so, is that the eye of the storm, et cetera? And, you know, analogies abound. Um, there are many different ways to do that. And that's the tricky part. Um, you know, we've had long puts all of 2022 and they've been modestly okay. You know, very disappointing overall, I guess I would say. And if you look at where is vol bid, are they coming for, you know, for VIX calls? Not really. So, you know, our hedges have been, you know, disappointing. You know, we've timed in terms of our major market signals, this uh, sell-off extremely well. But how we've chosen to express the sell-off isn't by just getting you know, short the market. That's a very dicey proposition, especially for the last, you know, 15 years. So, uh, you know, it, it, unless you had the foresight to just go out there and just bang out tons of futures or tons of SPY or tons of SPX, but even if you bought tons of SPX puts, they've been okay, you know, but they've probably disappointed you more than anything because this has been a very orderly sell-off and vol has not ripped. So it's, you know, the, the options part of this game is, it's been difficult this year for people, most people I know, and even for me in the sense that I was prepared for this and it still have underperformed my model expectations. More specifically, if you said to me at, you know, January 3rd, 2022, Hey, the market's going to go down 20%. You know, this is your position. What do you think? Good or bad? I'm like, it's a great position. It's going to make a ton of money. And why would I have said that? Because any other time in history when the market's gone down, fall has raised faster, higher than what we have now. So you could say something like, well, why hasn't vol gone up? Mainly because the market has, uh, this is an ephemeral word, but is market is hedged. And the market continues to have this hedge on now as we speak, tomorrow as, as the market trades and through the end of the month. And what's going to happen is, you know, some of these larger positions will <clears throat> roll off and they will, you know, move these strikes down further, you know, 30, 300 or something like that. And then things will begin anew. But, you know, I still don't think that a major crash happens really before 4th of July. Yeah. And so if we could just take a time machine, go back to January 3rd, I would tell you all about this and you would think vol would perform really well. To be clear, what has underperformed your expectations? The volatility risk premium, which is the difference between implied volatility and, and, and realized volatility or realized volatility itself? Neither. So uh, the, the premium has been great. So in other words, Gamma has paid you. So if you paid, if you went out and bought 32 vol for your at the money straddle in the SPY, when I, when I talk about something without naming it specifically, let's assume we're talking about the SPY. Yeah. So if you paid, you know, 32 vol for it and you think you're going to get your 2% move, sometimes you get that, sometimes you don't. But in aggregate, that's worked just fine for you. So Gamma has paid you. What hasn't worked is longer dated hedges. Specifically, um, you know, I had June on, which is tomorrow, but I bought those in like, you know, last November. And uh, I've watched them die a slow death despite my market, you know, going down, <laughs> straight down into it. So Vega has underperformed. Gamma has been pretty good depending on how you look at it. So you have short-term options, which have generally speaking been okay. Longer term options, and let's define that as something ninety days or greater. Then those have been okay to disappointing. Yeah, and, you know, my, my and my hedges are not you know next weekend or next week or whatever else, right? These things are uh, are further dated. So I, I the, the the gamma that's required, you know, the, the the rate of change in the in the theta that you pay for these short term hedges is so high. So I mean, if if you're wrong on these things, even by a small amount, it is just punishing. 
I'm going to have to resist the urge, Noel, to ask a, a ton of follow-up questions about like volatility of volatility. We will be doing so in late July, and, and folks watching this can watch that uh, when it airs on BlockWorks Macro YouTube channel uh, in early August. But as we close, could you just summarize your view about why you think the market won't crash over the next two, two weeks? Um, I think that there is just too much legacy positioning in the marketplace, whether it be from the likes of JP Morgan, market makers in, in aggregate, or people you know reaching for hedges. And those hedges are in place. And it will prevent people from scrambling for new things when they already have those things. You know, if you have um, you know, car insurance and you think you're going to get into a crash and you're able to call the insurance company before you crash. You, you can see the impact coming, but you're not quite impacted yet. You are somehow able to pull this off. You don't need to buy three policies. It's not illegal, but you know, you're not going to go out and buy more policies for something. But if you didn't have insurance and you can see this crash coming and you're able to call the insurance company and put this policy on, you'll pay whatever because you know anything greater than the policy, you know, the, the, the premium versus the price of your car plus their car is worth it. And that you already, those policies are already in place. So people don't need to scramble to get new policies on it, it, with the exception of new information. We go into Finland and Russia goes into Finland. We have to go to Taiwan. You know, there's all these kind of crazy things that can happen, right? It's, you know, the, you know, oil goes to 200 bucks and, you know, the implied CPI move is like, you know, 10 and a half. Okay, fine. Then we can have some crazy violent moves, but absent that exogenous new information, I don't think we crash a whole lot further. Wow. Well, thanks for fleshing out your, your thinking, Noel. Uh, folks should definitely um, check you out on Twitter, at Noel Convex. And uh, also, so we're filming this the afternoon of Thursday, June 6th. June 16th, it will air Friday, June 17th. On Monday, my interview with uh, volatility veteran Ben Eifert will air. So uh, people who want to, you know, to get to get a, a taste of some volatility, they, they won't have to wait that long. Um, thank you so much. Thanks, Jack. 